Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Knights of Ren. It's Allie. And today I'm here with my final Star Wars Rebels character episode. Very sad. I really enjoyed doing this series, but I added an extra episode on because of today's guest. Because today I have Hope on and Hope loves villains. And I was like, Hope, you want to do a villains episode? Because as much as I love to talk about the Spectres, like, come on, we gotta, like, talk about everyone. So today I have Hope here to talk all about villains. So hi, Hope. Thanks so much for coming on. <laughs> no, thanks for having me on, man. Oh, God, yeah. I, I, I love villains so much. I, yeah. I think my first question to Allie was, how thirsty can I get on this show? <laughs> I just, I, I love a good villain so much. Like, villains can absolutely make or break a show, so. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and for Star Wars Rebels, and Star Wars in general especially, like, we get a lot of them. Like, I when we were making the outline, we were like, oh, wow, there's actually a lot of, like, antagonists and villains in this show. So I'm so excited to talk about the many villains. Because, like, I literally asked Hope, like, even though there's a lot, I'm like, how long can you theoretically talk about a villain for? And you sent me, like, a giant paragraph. And I was like, <laughs> how long you got? <laughs> I guess on that note of what you were talking about, why you love villains, I guess maybe, do you want to share, like, a general, maybe, like, why you especially value the villains of Star Wars Rebels, maybe, in general, before we get into specific characters? Yeah, um, I've always liked villains more than I've liked heroes. I, I think that you can't have a good hero without a good villain. And when it comes to villains, to me, like, there's more flexibility with them, because heroes have to meet certain archetypes. They have to stay within certain frames of stuff, because if you have a hero like like Luke or Ray, if they go too far, then they're coming out of that hero archetype. So, I mean, with any kind of media, like heroes have to fit a, a certain form and structure. But I feel like villains have the ability to be more wild. They have more flexibility. You know, if they go too far, it's okay because they're the villain and it's within <laughs> their character. So they can do just about anything they want. And I, I love that about villains. And you know, they, they're a very important part of story. You know, villains are, to quote my co-podcaster, story is where murder should happen. You know, we get to analyze, like, social const uh, constructs. We get to analyze society and uh, theories and stuff like that through villains, through stories. And that's, that's why I'm very against this whole rise of purity culture BS that's been rising on the internet because it's stupid. Um, because, like, that's the point of stories for us to deep dive and analyze this so, you know, we don't go out and kill people ourselves. <laughs> so, and, like, stories are, are very important and villains are a huge part of that because that's when we can really break down, you know, what makes humans humans, like, what makes us flawed, what makes us good or bad or angry or happy like it all comes down to villains giving us that kind of freedom and to be that person to push a hero to actually be a hero i mean what is luke without vader what is you know like what is like leia without tarkin you know pushing her to go on with the rebels and stuff like villains what is han without jabba <laughs> like you know these are the people who really really push us is antagonist and there is a difference between antagonist and villain and I'm glad you did point that out because antagonists are very different from villains and both are just as important in the structure of story. Mm -hmm. 
I just ramble, man. I haven't had enough. No, sleep. no, no, no. It's, <laughs> it's so good. I, I literally, it, I, that's some a big reason that I also enjoy having guests on because of hearing insight like that, especially because so easily for me, especially when I was watching the show, because I think when I was like younger, I didn't think on that level as much still. And I was still like, oh, wow, Price is being so mean to them. That's mean. I hate you. And I never thought about like the other side of things like, oh, Price is like pushing Hera and stuff. And it's just like, I guess it's just interesting to hear that kind of perspective. And especially because it helps. And I think especially because I grew really to like get very invested into Kylo slash Ben Solo's story. I think that's really what pushed me to look more at the villain side of things. Um, as I grew older, and so I, I really appreciate like hearing your perspective on that. So yeah, ramble as much as you want. You know, like yeah. and that that's a good way. Like yeah, like what is who pushes Kanan to go on his journey and actually take on Ezra as a Padawan? It's the Grand Inquisitor. Yeah. Uh, the threat of the Grand Inquisitor is what pushes Kanan to co- go back to being a Jedi to take on a Padawan. To and and I, mean, I know we'll talk about it because my my grande boyfriend to me is like <laughs> I have nicknames for just about all of them. It's fine. My grande boyfriend is to me the most important villain of Rebels. He's the catalyst for the entire series. And uh, but Kanan could not be a hero and step up and face his past that he had been running from for so long, if not for the threat of the Grand Inquisitor. And like he is the one that made Kanan go back to being a Jedi. As much as we will get into the villains' villains later, <laughs> Star Wars Rebels also does have a number of morally gray slash redeemed and reformed kind of villains. So who do you want to start talking about for this section? <laughs> Hashtag hot cows. All right, let's go. <laughs> <laughs> Hashtag Zeb's husband, uh, boyfriend, and they're going to grow up together and like raise baby Lasats on Lasantia. Oh my god. <laughs> They're going to open an orphanage, and they're going to take them in, and they're going to, all the little Lasat kids are going to be like, Uncle Callus, where's all your fur? And he's like, I balled it early. And they're like, ew, gross. <laughs> <laughs> and oh Zeb's like, stop telling people you're bald. <laughs> wow. That's great. So. I love that. <laughs> no, no, I, I think Callus actually has probably one of the most important stories. Callus's story is a lot of what Star Wars is. It's, it's redemption. It's hope. It's finding new paths to try and it's also to me one of the biggest flaws of rebels and it's one of the very very few flaws of rebels that i have is that we don't get to see the middle part of callus's redemption he goes from you know wanting to murder them for a season (laughs) and a half and then is magically because he becomes fulcrum he magically gets to join the rebels and there is some pushback like we see like um ezra as are very famously throwing cows through a window <laughs> and and there is some pushback but I, I would have liked to see a little bit more of that because I think that's a very important chunk that's missing from the rebellion you know is that they'll be like oh you left the empire come join us and I'm like it seems really easy for spies just to like go into the rebellion if you're just like I hate the empire okay bye um but the like, criticism aside like Callus's story is very important. It is Star Wars. Like that is the point of Darth Vader being redeemed. That is the point of Kylo being redeemed. Um, I think Callus does it better than either of them because Callus actually gets to live. <laughs> <laughs> Redemption does not equal death, and Callus actually gets Ugh. to live through it. Um, but I, I think Callus's story is incredibly important um, because villains, pe- people should have a chance to 
to face their past and not always be forgiven. I don't see every person Callus meets forgiving him fully. Um, and I think those are the interesting stories that I wish they would explore more. Like I would have actually loved one more conversation in season three or season four between Callus and Zeb. You know, that that was a needed conversation, but <laughs> Yeah, no, I, I was just gonna bring that up. I'm like, not only do we kind of miss that middle chunk, but we also don't get it much in season four, and it's kind of unfortunate. Um yeah, season four just for one needed more episodes, but like <laughs> it I just uh I'm very dis if if I'm disappointed in the writing of Zeb and Callus in, in that season because for one they're not in it much. But <laughs> Like, that was a very important story that was set up early on that they just kind of dropped Zeb out of the last season, so. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, I love everything you brought up about this, because, like, like I, I've always loved redemption, too, like, as much as I can get, redemption is so important, and um, especially going through that process, which is why you, I'm so glad that you noted that it would would have been so beneficial to see that middle chunk for Callus because while it a lot of fans like to joke like oh he was on a nice moon now he's automatically good <laughs> with yeah. that um, they went on one a like hot date on exactly. a cold moon and hot date in a cold moon and you're suddenly a good guy exactly he got, like, he, he's suddenly very much into bears apparently <laughs> like as, as, as much as we love to joke about that it is I've been so. on pink milk podcast far too much where we had nice conversation about zaddies and bears <laughs> oh my gosh <laughs> you were saying I'm so sorry it's okay no like as much as we love to joke about that like it is still so important to like realize that it is interesting and like powerful to see that part of the story because especially because not with every like redemption like there can be setbacks and there can be like obstacles that you still have to go overcome like as you're trying to like especially because Zeb like asked Callus to like start questioning the first order and like their intentions and I'm not first order god I've been talking about resistance too much no you're fine Empire. <laughs> god I've been talking same about same difference one's the Nazis the other one's the alt-right that's fine. That's all Nazis. <laughs> yeah, but start questioning the Empire, and, like, I just think that part of the story is so interesting, but I'm still really appreciate, I still really appreciate what they did with Callus in, at all, because I remember when I first saw Callus in, like, season one, I was like, I hate this guy, and I'm never gonna like this guy. I loved him the instant I saw him. I was like, yes! <laughs> <laughs> the moment You're I saw so him, I was Callus like, I love him. Um, but yeah, that, that, it's so interesting, like, Callus and also, like, I think Tua, when we eventually get to my baby girl, Tua, who deserves mm -hmm. better, what's so interesting about the two of them is you can tell how they spew propaganda, and that's that, that's what the ice moon was, was Callus would be like, well, here's me spewing propaganda at you that I was taught, and Zeb just takes, like, pretty much a big old sword and just pokes a hole through it, and <laughs> when Callus runs out of propaganda to tell Zeb, he has to face what he's doing because he has no more lies to spew anymore because, and he has to actually look at his own actions. And that's when he really starts thinking about it. And, and we get that with my baby girl, Tua, who deserved better. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. I talked about this a lot with Resistance 2, which is probably why my mind was trained on it, about how... I love when Star Wars shows, like, that kind of certain mentality of, like, the different sides and how they're, like, 
trained to like believe certain things and I just I really like seeing that because it's so easy in to be like oh they're the bad ones they just go pew pew kill the rebels but like <laughs> it's like that it's like characters like Callus and like Tua they've like they grew up in like an imperial academy or whatever and they were like grown up and taught this thing like the empire brings security and this is all the good things we do for the galaxy and so I I love that a character is put into question for that because you know there's yeah I I think we fault so many people so easily for the bad things they do but we don't praise when they actively try to change enough yeah um and we need to yeah they they were still space Nazis for for most of their lives. They were space Nazis. But they need like people need to be praised when they see the error of their ways, when they repent, when they actively work hard to to do better and work hard for the rest of their lives to be better. And that should be something that should be praised more. Yeah, and if we want to, like, I, I put Tua in the later list, but we can talk about Tua now. Um, oh, my baby girl, okay. Tua deserves better. <laughs> because on, on the note of overcoming, like, those obstacles put in front of you, I mean, Callus, it's a lot of questioning. And for Tua, I think it, it's really impactful, too, because you see her really, not fully, we don't see it much, but she kind of overcomes an obstacle of fear in a way by the way that she, like, takes that extra step to not only question, like, what she's been doing, but to, like, step past that fear she has in that moment and yeah absolutely um you want to know what one of my absolute favorite scenes in all of rebels is and it has four villains in it and it's (laughs) i wish it was something they would explore so much because something that rebels does so well is it shows the layers of the empire you have like the little grunt workers all the way down to the factory to like the middle management people with like Tua and Oresco and Grint, and then you have kind of the specialty people like Callus, then you have the Darksiders like the Inquisitors, and then you have like the high ups like Tarkin and Vader and, and Palpatine. And that's what I love about it. But like one of my absolute favorite scenes in all of Rebels, which is so telling about how the Empire held power over people like Tua and Callus, was it's season one and it's the episode where Ezra makes a podcast because they break into the tower and he's just like hey galaxy what's up but in that scene Tarkin arrives and he's coming like the district manager coming to yell at his like you know lower people and stuff and he comes in there and Tua says something along the lines of like you know we're doing our best but apparently they have a Jedi and Tarkin walks up to her and says to her face, there are no Jedi anymore. They're, they're gone. You don't need to believe that. And he actively gaslights her. But the kicker is, is the Grand Inquisitor is three feet behind her, <laughs> who is a Force user, ex-Jedi. And he just looks at Tarkin and doesn't say anything. And that's, that scene is so telling because we see how the propaganda works here. And how Tarkin actively gaslights his own like uh, 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 subordinates with the one like somebody behind Tua who could have been like, of course the Jedi are real. I'm a, I'm an ex Jedi. I'm a Force user and stuff like that. But he doesn't correct them. And I I found that so telling that Tua feels like one of those people who just she she's a propaganda child. She was raising this <laughs> propaganda. She talks about how. To Sabine, very, I think it's in Droids and Districts about like the schools that she went to and her learning and stuff like that. But the moment she starts 
getting to a certain level because that's kind of the thing like when you're in the lower levels of the empire i feel like you know you're so wrapped up in the propaganda but once you start getting into those upper levels like tua did uh that's when you start seeing like what the empire really was and you become one of two people you either become a tarkin or you become a tua and the Tarkins are the ones who kept going and kept succeeding and, and stuff like that. But the two of us where the people are going, what's happening? What, like, why is, I'm here to help people. And we know this, we know this in the extra material that Tua actually used Imperial resources to help the poor people of LaSalle. She brought, she built low income housing for them using Imperial resources. So she was honestly trying to help the people of her planet that she loved. And when she realized what the empire really was, especially with the killing of Oresco and Grant, I think that was the oh bleep moment that made her go, oh bleep, what, what am I doing here? And that's when she tried to leave. And she, oh God, can you imagine if she was able to leave? Because in season, the first episode of season two, she knew about the Jedi Temple. She knew about the world between worlds. And she hints that she knows about this because Palpatine's looking for it. And if they would have found that out so early on, oh, it would have been such a game changer. So, oh, I, Tua deserved so, so much better. Like, she really did. Like, she's my precious baby girl, and I love her so much, and she deserved it better. <laughs> yeah, and it, it, it's like you were talking about earlier. Like, no matter how powerful a redemption or a reformation can be, let them live, please. <laughs> like, you know, I mean, I love Dave Filoni, I really do, but one of, he does have a track record for killing female characters for man pain and to further plots and stuff like that. And yeah, um, and we're, we're we see it in like uh, the Mandalorian too. I mean, like I I love him to death, and that's why I was just like, oh my god, Tam survived. A black woman actually survived in Star Wars. <laughs> yeah, Resistance is like the good one. Like everyone survives, and I was like, whoa. <laughs> I love Tua. I love her so much. She's so cute in the manga. She, she has like the little like like manga like little tropes and stuff like that where she's just like yeah and I'm just like oh my god I love her. Uh, uh, uh. Her her her. I wish there was more of her Callus and Grande man. The three of them are just such a great trio together because you you have the soldier, you have the force user, and you have the political person, and the three of them together just made such a strong, like, triangle of villains in season one, and god, I loved them so much. <laughs> no, no, like, seriously, for me, personally, at least, I liked their little trio better than, like, the Price, Thrawn, Rook trio, or whatever, if that even counts as a trio. <laughs> Was Rook even a trio? <laughs> like, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, Season one to me is definitely probably one of the strongest seasons. And yeah, no, everyone always like gives season one flack, but honestly, I love season one. It's mm-hmm. it's pure and sweet, and the characters are great. So. <laughs> season one and season two are are my favorites. I season three I think is fine. I think season four is incredibly flawed it, for multiple different reasons, from character to story to plot to the shortness of the season. To I, I have a lot of issues with season four. And, it has good moments, though. Robot Twin Worlds. Exactly. So cool. I, I, I kind of put season four up there a lot just because it has a lot of my favorite episodes and stuff. But then, then I'm like, wait a second. <laughs> the oh my in Robot Twin Worlds. Maybe I like more just because I like Sabine. I don't know. I don't know. Um, <laughs> uh, Sabine does get, like, really get her due in season four. So and I, I think it does come down definitely to a lot of, like, character stuff. If you are an Ezra or Sabine fan, like, man, season four is your jam. <laughs> exactly. Um, 
But like, I, I I love everyone in the Ghost Crew, but I definitely like feel like they did Hera dirty a lot in season four, and they did Zeb dirty a lot in season four. Yeah. Those are my two favorite characters. Oh, so. no. Yeah. So, do you want to move on to? I guess that you can kind of trio. I mean, not trio double Zago and Hondo because they're kind of similar in a way yeah and, and as morgan's kind of in that too True. though i do think as morgan is a little bit more villainous than <laughs> hondo and fizago yeah hondo is such an interesting character because i feel like to get his full arc you have to include his clone wars stuff and he, that's where his full arc comes from and then you have like other things like now he's in galaxy's edge but what's so interesting about hondo's journey is looking back to, like, the kid's arc of Clone Wars when he's actively trying to murder children. (laughs) And, like, by the end of that arc, we see him start changing. And I think between uh, kids like Katuni and Obi-Wan is what brought him to Rebels. And I I don't consider Hondo a villain. I consider Hondo and Visago antagonist. Because they are that kind of middle gray area scum and villainy. But Hondo's such a fun character because I feel like he represents better times. Um, he's a living embodiment of when times used to be better. Even for him, even for the scum and villainy, when times used to be better for him. And like he has all these fond memories. And I think it goes to, to show how much hope can affect something. Like just the hope that Katuni and Obi-Wan gave him made him believe in Ezra. But you to, to really look at Hondo, you really do need his whole arc, both with Clone Wars and Rebels, and if you want to continue in the Galaxy's Edge, too. I mean... Because as much as I get on stars, especially now with all, like, you know, the leaks and rumors about Mandalorian, I'm like, just stop with the familiar faces, it's fine. But, like, as much as I get onto that, I, I love that we get to see, like, Hondo's, like, entire story throughout, like, the different animated, like, properties. I think... It is so interesting, especially because in Rebels, you get to see him that have that connection with Ezra that he, like, kind of, in a way, attempts to have with people before, but not really. Like, I mean, you have to watch Clone Wars to get, like, my still my favorite line in, um, his, my favorite line of his in Rebels is, like, when he makes that joke about having a best friend who was a Jedi. Oh, <laughs> like, I know! Like I, I just loved getting to see his interactions with Ezra, so I really enjoyed him in this. <laughs> Have you read, um, oh, what's it called? What's it called? I think it's called Pirate's Price? No, I've not. Okay, so... I'm bad at the books. <laughs> I, I have to say, do it as the audiobook, because it's Jim Cummings, who is the voice of Hondo, reading the audiobook, and it's the like other than the opening passage and the final passage the entire rest of the novel is done in first person so it just sounds like it's hondo telling you a oh story my God. and he does his own sound effects too and he's just like what? and then i slid under there and you know the the blasters were going pew 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 and like he finds like a group of porks and he's like and i named this one scratchy and the pork was like rah, 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 rah. it's so good and I, I think it's called pirate's price but it, it's a young adult novel um, so there are, like, you know, like, fart jokes and stuff like that. But it's all first-person Hondo telling you a story. And it's so good. <laughs> uh, but I, 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 you know, that's where it's it's really interesting because we start kind of seeing where these other gray areas come. Because one of the stories, because I think he tells, like, three, four stories. Um, and one of them is with Han Solo and Chewie in the Millennium Falcon. And he wants to steal the Millennium Falcon. 
But later on the novel, after Han has died, like, Hondo expresses sadness for losing Han. For a kid's book, it has so many different layers to it. Cause, and, I, and that's what I like about Hondo. Like, he's a pirate. He's a scum and villainy character. And his mood changes, like, depending on what day it is and stuff like that. <laughs> and he might like Ugnaughts. He might be a little queer, too. So that's uh, really cool, too. <laughs> like him and Melch, man. He, was, he loved that pig. <laughs> <laughs> And Milch seemed to stick with him too. But like Hondo is such a fascinating character because he is a character that has transcended not only television show, but like multiple forms of media from books to Galaxy's Edge. I think he's going to be absolutely a gateway character for characters who see him at Galaxy, or fans who see him at Galaxy's Edge and maybe have not looked into Clone Wars or Rebels. And he's just such a fascinating character. And I I hope he's like a Wookiee. I hope he lives for hundreds of years and we get hundreds of years worth of Hondo content because I have no idea how long, how weak ways age. Wow. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And like, he's not only because it's cool, like he's also just a bright light, like his humor and stuff. Like, give me more Hondo. Give me more positivity and laughs before you kill me again, Star Wars. So, Visago, what are your thoughts on Visago? <laughs> you know, I, I like Visago. I wish they, I, I think, hmm, hmm, I wish they had him a little bit more in the middle seasons because he has a very definite change from season one to season two. Or season one to season four, I should say. Let me correct that. To season one, he leaves them to die. <laughs> and yeah. he's just like, I got my stuff, bye. And he's just like, bye, and he leaves them to die. But I, I think, what? When it comes to Hondo and Visago, I think it shows the power of not only Ezra as a Jedi character, but like the hope that the Jedi represents. But I think Visago is a little bit different because I don't know if he's from Lothal, but he works on Lothal (laughs) and he actively sees what's happening on Lothal and how it's, you know, a little bit selfishly like affecting his business and his money. But I think once it becomes very real to him, um, he's a good kind of middle gray character that goes this is now affecting me and he's kind of like you know the, the the people who are just like i can ignore this until it affects me kind of people which are not the greatest people but they do have stories as well and at least Vizago chooses the right side to help join and fight with the rebels and i think he's very very interesting in that and i like seeing him soften and you know after rebels i bet he goes back to scum and villainy i bet he goes back to being a smuggler and and he goes right back to what he was doing but he has those moments where Ezra gets through to him, and I think he does, on some degree, care about Lothal as a planet because it is his place of work. And Asmorgan just runs around and he's gross. <laughs> and I think that's where he, Asmorgan is different, is that he never has those redeeming qualities. And you know what? I'm okay with that, too, because I love, a, like, as much as I love redeemed villains, some people just need to be evil. And he's just an evil person who was just like, I want to, you know, get Hera and sell her into slavery and keep her for myself forever and he's gross but he's so <laughs> uh, as Morgan is a good foil to someone like Fuzako and Hondo because all three are scum and villainy characters but one you can tell which one is just the one that's not willing to help who's probably going to like side with the Empire at some point and yeah I, I think they're all three very similar characters but they have their differences enough to make them each interesting in their own right and as Morgan's grows, but he's still interesting to a certain point. He does have something to bring to the table as being a foil to Visago and Hondo. 
it, this isn't really a redeeming quality, but on the note, I did the same thing with Hondo. So the Sacco also has some great humor. I, I just had the note because I love his little interaction with Kanan in season four. Like my dad lost it because I was like just watching, my dad was watching Rebels for the first time and he loved that little part. It was funny. Um, when they thought, he was like, Kanan, you came here to rescue me. It's like, oh my God. I don't know. <laughs> I love that episode too. <laughs> <laughs> just like, yeah, we sure did. Sure did. There's so um, many like codes among pirates and smugglers and bounty hunters, and they each have like these honor system honor codes. Yeah, and I feel like that's where Visago was. Like, even though he realized that they didn't come there specifically to save him, they still saved him, and he feels like somebody who wants to honor that. Yeah, um, and to help them out to at least to if anything, so <laughs> so if anything, to not hold it over his head because then he they would always have an IOU that he would have to pay back to them so it's almost like he's paying that debt but that's something I don't think that as Morgan has I think that's something that as Morgan is just like I don't have an honor system because I'm gross but yeah I mean I, that's what I like about Visago is I mean that's that's an interesting point because we actually do kind of see that in season one with his deal with Ezra and I, I think mm-hmm. that's an interesting thing to bring up because for me personally, is because I talk so much about the Mandalorian code <laughs> it is important to acknowledge that just like how we were talking about with the empire and propaganda and with the mandalorian code there's a, everyone has kind of their own kind of thing and they have their own kind of honor system code thing too and every person has to like work around that and like how much they're going to honor it how much they're going to question it and like i i think that's a really interesting point to bring up <laughs> yeah i mean if if anything he joined them just so they don't have an iou on him because <laughs> if he if he would have just left them they could have came up like you know five years later and be like remember that time we saved you from slavery come help us and so i i think that's um and i think hondo is a lot and it's very similar but i think i think hondo having the age to have lived through the time of the jedi and to see the jedi at their height i think that's really the difference between hondo and visago i i do feel like Zaga did it as a way to not have an IOU, but I feel like Hondo is there because he wants to and he believes in the Jedi. And I, mm-hmm. I think that's the, the very subtle difference between the two of them. Mm-hmm. So we do see, as I talked about earlier, we do see some familiar faces in Rebels, and we talked a bit about Tarkin already, but do you have anything else you want to say about Tarkin and Rebels? Oh, Farkin, here we go! Uh. So you know how I'm saying that so like it's nice to have redeemed characters, but some characters just need to be evil. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's Farkin. Farkin just is a character uh that just needs to be evil. He is to me, like Farkin is worse than Vader and Palpatine. Like he is the space Nazi, the biggest space Nazi that's ever space Nazi, and he is just there to be evil. And God bless Peter Cushing and the Afternoon Life, sir. You're so good at that. I, I, you, may you rest in peace. But like, you need villains that are just horrible. And I love villains that I love to hate. I love to hate Tarkin, and that's that, and that's fun. Like I hate Tarkin, but I love hating him, and that's a very important kind of thing to have too. But yeah, like I love to hate Tarkin, and it's very important to have these kind of non-redeemable villains. So you have just the great evils to always be combating, and so also that's where you get those nuances, like that scene with Tua being gaslighted, like those like scenes where like because I, I also think that scene and the death of Oresco and Grant at the hands of Tarkin and the Grand Inquisitor was not only the final step for the final step for Tua, I think that was the first step for Callus. 
and you need to have those kind of layers to show like how evil has nuances and how villains have nuances and that's Tarkin he's just evil and I love that he's just evil <laughs> like he doesn't have redeeming qualities was he maybe gay and from a certain point of view probably terrible queer representation I don't want a space Nazi to be a gay like me but you know what it is what it is and Wikipedia corrected it whatever but um, like you need a character like Tarkin and like Palpatine that are just so evil and not redeemable to make stories like Tuas and Kalos's and Vader's stories more intriguing. So when you see, you know, the, the recent Vader comic where, you know, Vader is all sad over Padme and he's all like, I'm so sobbing. She reminded me of my wife and I'm sad. <laughs> then you have like Vader um, getting tortured by Palpatine. That's because Palpatine is not a redeemable evil. He's like Tarkin. And it lets you hate him so much more. So I, I love I love Tarkin. I love to hate him. I think he's absolutely fascinating. And God, Peter Cushing is so cute. Yeah, and on the note of like loving to hate villains, like I, I kind of actually do feel the same way about Tarkin, especially when it comes to rebels, because as much as I like to like joke around and be like god i really wish ahsoka just let him die in that one arc <laughs> but like as much as i like to do that like it is important to have characters like him especially because in rebels um he really does come in and raise the stakes because we kind of mostly have like la da like callus and two are there but they're and lister and um all these other like lothal people but they're not really like getting to them it's just la da fun and then here like you said the scene we keep talking about here comes tarkin and he just like murders Oresco and Grant and it's like it's anybody just... who's worked retail knows what it's like when your district manager comes in and it yeah. changes everything <laughs> it changes the day and he is the district manager that comes in and is just like all right Lothal people get it together your numbers are your quota man get it together like he is the middle management district manager guy and that's you know uh, uh I love him in Rogue One too man Tarkin is <laughs> Tarkin is such a good character because he's just a jerk face. He's the biggest <laughs> jerk face and he's so evil and uh, uh. He's so good. <laughs> such a good character. Yeah. <laughs> I I though I will say looking at Vader. I love Vader. Vader in Rebels is actually really important um because we, we had the original trilogy, you know, and he's just this, like, big, scary beast of a person. And then we see at the end, he's Luke's father, and we see the man underneath the, the mask, right? Mm -hmm. And then we get the prequel trilogy in Clone Wars, where it's, you know, like, we see who he was, how he fell, and stuff like that. It really humanized the character. And before Rogue One ever came out, we had Vader and Rebels, and he's scary, and he <laughs> needed to be scary. And he needed to be this threatening, never-ending presence that could not be beat. And that scene, that the, the season two opener, when he not only shows up and, and is dramatic now with his uh, cape and just throwing it around, just being all Mr. Dramatic because he's Anakin Skywalker and Anakin Skywalker's a drama queen, snap, snap. But then he gets that scene where he's outside and you see the walkers fall on him and he has the fire and they can't kill him and they can't stop him. And he's just this terrifying beast. And that is original trilogy Vader coming back into his glory. And it was, it was before Rogue One came out and before we had that final 
scene in Rogue One and Vader needed to be scary. He needed to be a wake-up call to both Kanan and Ezra and the Ghost crew that there are things worse than Inquisitors out there. There are things worse than like Tuas and everything. And <laughs> Vader is so good in that scene. Oh my god. No, it's like no. what I was thinking about Tarkin about raising the stakes. Like Tarkin already came in and raised them, but then Vader just came in and raised them even more. And I, I, I like especially starting season two off at that point because when Dave Filoni like t- talks about like the structure of Rebels, it's like season two is really going into that like dark point of things, and then you and it also is kind of represented with Sabine's hair in a way. I don't know. I could go in all into that, but like it's like I just really loved having that start to season two because it really like set you in and it, it, for both the viewers and for the ghost crew and the characters it was just like that like weight and that presence that they were like wow things are really going so serious and it was like story like narrative wise it was the the stuff up like that to like, vader was there because his grand inquisitor's dead yeah and his, his second hand man is dead and that was the step up. And narrative wise, it's what pushed them into the bigger galaxy to get them off of Lafal. Yeah. Um, it was a needed step narrative wise. Yeah. yeah, that too, especially. Um, because as much as we love Lothal, like, let's yeah. go, I don't know. <laughs> so I, I will say one thing I wish they would have done on Lothal is apparently Lothal has oceans. And they have oceans. And you can actually see it, like, when you have, like, like space shots, you can see the blue of the ocean. Yeah. And I would have loved to have, like, some sort of, like, beach or ocean scene. Um, <laughs> as well as the capital city apparently has a zoo. And I was like, can we go to the zoo with Ezra? I want to go to the zoo with Ezra. Let's go. Please. Can you imagine them, like, freeing all the animals as a distraction? Oh, my God. I will draw this for you now. <laughs> Yay. Ezra goes to the zoo and let's all. Oh, my God. <laughs> but, yeah, I, I feel like that was the one thing was, like, Lothal is such a beautiful place. But it has oceans. And I would have loved to have seen some kind of, like, ocean shot somewhere in Rebels. So, And I don't think oh it God. ever rains in Rebels. I don't think it rains a single no, time. No, I don't think so. We don't see Palpatine a ton, but do you have thoughts? Well, it's, you know, it was always really fun because I, I do love Papa Palps. And Papa Palps comes back in at the end. And for one, it's a, it was a great return to have Ian McDermott come in and voice him because having him just, you know, just have that just kind of like Jedi Ahsoka Tano, Ezra Bridger. <laughs> like to hear him just like say, like someone is great as Ian McDermott come in and just like say these like animation character names for one just hearing him say the words Ahsoka Tano Ashoka. Ashoka Tano um like it's it's so good um and it's it's the final boss up you know it's the final level up like we have these escalating characters not just with the military but the political side and the force side there are really three sides, like a triangle of villains and rebels. You have the politics sides, which are like your Tuas, your um, Arinda Prices. Uh, dare I say Ryder Azadi? <gasps> oh my god! <laughs> Ryder Azadi put Arinda Price on her villain path, FYI. <laughs> All right, we'll get to that. <laughs> no, I, 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 I like Ryder. I think Ryder's a very complicated good guy because he's a politician and he framed Arinda's mother and put her in jail to steal their mind to protect it from the Empire because he didn't want their mind to fall on their hands. But for imprisoning Arinda Price's mother, it set her on her villain path because all she wanted to do was rise in power 
to get revenge on Ryder, who imprisoned an innocent woman in the first place. So I think Ryder's a very complicated hero. But, uh, and I love, I love their dual story. What was I talking about? Oh, Papa Palps. So Papa Palps, right? Um, but yeah, there are three, there's the government side of things, which are, you know, the two and the price. Then there's the, um, the four side of things, which are your Inquisitors, your Vaders, and your Palpatines. And then you have your military side of things, which are like your Constantines, your Lists, your Thrawns, your Targons. Um, and so I think it's interesting. So we had been escalating in all ways all the way through the show. So of course the final boss is going to be Palpatine. And I like that they never beat Palpatine and they never kill Palpatine because he doesn't need to be killed because it's not their story to tell. Yeah. Um, and it's just, uh, it's so good to hear Ian McDermott just be in the show and, and return to form. And Sam Witwer was really great as him in the first season, but having Ian come back and like the finale and just being that character, because only he can capture the, the palpiness of Papa Palps. <laughs> so, <laughs> and yeah, I, I love seeing Palpatine. And he's, yeah. 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 I, I really, like, on the story side of things, like, we, we know Palpatine just loves getting into people's heads and, like, pushing them in certain directions, and I, I seeing the way he pushes Ezra, and, and then in return, seeing the way that Ezra, like, learns, like, takes the letting go and everything, and, like, oh, just, like, oh, that's... Oh, yeah. And I, I, I love that, love. like, that front that he comes out like he's the good old senator. Yeah, and yeah, you know, yeah. He's the senator that, senator that was sitting at Cirque du Soleil with Anakin Skywalker going, hey, I'm a Sith Lord. Because he actually doesn't lie to, to, to Ezra at all. Like, he's yeah. like, look, I'm a Sith Lord. Here's a <laughs> temple. Go see your family. Like, he doesn't <laughs> lie at any point to Ezra. Um, and that's what, like, makes it so interesting because... He's not pulling punches. He's just like, hey, you know who I am. I know who I am. We all know who you are. The only want to see your family. The power of the dark side. Go see your family. And so, like, I, I like that about, because, you know, he's probably so good at being a manipulator, and he's so good at putting all these fronts. And we see this, like, in the prequel trilogy when he's, like, senator. Like, yeah. when he's senator in the movie, and we see him put on all these fronts and everything mm -hmm. but I also just love the times when he's just like openly a Sith Lord to like Anakin and Ezra and he's just like hey guys I'm a Sith Lord so you want to hang out or whatever and drink wine and Ezra's just like I'm underage and he's like that didn't stop me here's the wine go see your parents wow. um so <laughs> thanks for having me on your show oh, no, but I, I love Palpatine. I love, I love, I think he's, I think he is one of the greatest villains of all time that's ever been written. Like, that's why the prequel trilogy is so important, because you get to see his machinations of, like, why he's so brilliant. Um, and, Palp and Rebels is just another example of that, so. All right. Do you want to talk, I guess, I don't know how to start this. Maul, quite, um, quite a character on Rebels, isn't he? <laughs> Hey, you ready for this? I'm ready. So Spiky Boy, right? Spike and boy is B-O-I. It's B-O-I. Spiky Boy. B-O-I. Um, I love Spiky Boy. I love... Okay. <laughs> I love Maul as a character because actually Rebels was the first time, thing that time I actually liked Maul as a character. I kind of felt like he was a little overrated and stuff like that. I, I, I thought he was fine in Clone Wars. But Maul was very interesting because I feel like it was the first time I saw him as a person because he didn't have the Darth. 
you know, he was just being himself. I, I, I liked that. And so then when I, when we were doing Clone Wars with J guys and Jedi, uh, my podcast, like I saw Maul in this new light that I had never really seen him in before. And I actually learned to appreciate Maul because of Rebels. That said, I love Maul. Best ruler of Mandalorian. He's my spiky boy and I love, but Maul doesn't need to be in Rebels. I don't think he, narrative wise, he doesn't really do anything in Rebels. I mean, he's in what, like four episodes? And he just shows up and he just goes, ooh, Ezra. And Ezra's like, I guess I have to go deal with Maul. And he leaves and they deal with Maul and they come back. And they don't actually really ever do anything with his character other than letting him finish his arc. And I kind of wish they just had him and brought him back in Twilight of the Apprentice and they had him in Twin Sons. And I wish Twin Sons was all about him and didn't even have Ezra in it because Twin Sons is a very boring episode except for the last five minutes because all they do is walk around the desert for like 18 minutes and the last like three minutes you're just like, yes, this is the good stuff I came here for. So I, you know, I love, I love Maul's character and I love what he does and stuff, but I think narrative wise, he's just repetitive. They don't do anything with him. Ezra never falls fully to the dark side. They could have come for those different ways. And yeah, they don't, they don't, I, I think Maul is such a waste in Rebel. I think they could have done so much more with him. So <laughs> I you think about Maul. No, I, and I do like the character. I really do. I just think that they could have done more. I really do. I think that all his storylines are repetitive. Uh, what's, uh, what is it, the, the holocron one? Oh no, Maul is here. Ezra comes and deals with Maul and he leaves. Uh, the Dathomir one. Oh no, Maul is here. Ezra goes and deals with Maul and then he comes back and he leaves and they return to the rebellion. I agree with the, um, the holocrons of fate and visions and voices, I think. Oh, thank you. Um, yeah, no, I know too much rebel stuff from my own Like, I agree that they're his, like, it, it's kind of repetitive, but I personally think, like, I really appreciated his appearances in um, Twilight of the Apprentice and Twin Suns, though, because I think in Twilight of the Apprentice, obviously, like, they obviously kind of done a lot more with Ezra in terms of, like, the pull stuff they, like, so heavily, like, showed in trailers and stuff, um, but, like, I still appreciated seeing, like, that pushing of Ezra's narrative and also Maul's and I thought I I still no matter how repetitive those two episodes are I think it's still like maybe just like pick one but like I think seeing that desperation that Maul kind of has just to have like that connection and I think they talked about this a lot on like the um because I listened to like Sky Talkers episode about Twin Sons but they talked a lot about how like Maul is just really he just wants that like connection with someone and like um especially because like he's lost so much and I don't know and I just like seeing that push and that um pushed for both of their narratives in a way and obviously like Maul could have had a lot more and Ezra could have had a lot more but from what we got I do appreciate it and on the note of Twin Sons I think it ultimately I think it could have been a lot more Maul centered like you said but for what it does for Ezra I really liked because finally Ezra really got that was really like the push point that really pushed Ezra to um really see the value of what he has and not just that but also because he so has that such that strong mentality of like needing to save everyone, needing to always be the person to take that step to, like, protect people and make the right choices. And I think his discussion with Obi-Wan in that episode really 
um and like his relationship with maul he finally comes to see like the actions he's been taking and no matter how much he feels like no matter how he feels about maul's past actions like he has to realize what he has is a value and no matter what happened in the past like there's only so much you can do i don't know if i'm phrasing that right but like yeah, that's, I, I see what you're saying yeah yeah that's you my know, I, yeah yeah I, I absolutely see what you're saying um i kindly don't agree <laughs> it's all right it's fine um like because in if you want to hear me like really go into t- twin sons like we talked about it for like two and a half hours over on Jay guys and jedi yeah. um as we deep dive into that episode but kind of like the shorthand was like i almost just wish that entire episode was just small and obi-wan um and because what i love about maul is he's such a tragic character like that's that's kind of the fun thing about all the sits it's that so much of like what makes sidious so good is he filled maul with delusions of granger and then cast him out um and like made maul think that he was going to be something great and he wasn't he told uh, anakin that he could save his wife through love and he picked on uh he targeted ben because he was just this lonely kid and um like that's why palpatine was so good but maul has always wanted this greatness um the, the greek myth of the the dude who pushes the boulder up the hill and every time he gets to the top it rolls back down that is maul um and that is maul's character and he's so intricately tied with Obi-Wan and they have this great past. And I think that's what makes Obi-Wan so fascinating. That episode is Obi-Wan has every reason to hate Maul, has so many reasons to hate Maul and he treats him like a friend. And I think that would have been such an interesting, like if we had 22 minutes of a cat and mouse of like Obi-Wan and Maul and having like little snippets of conversations, like just going back and forth and Maul like really digging into like at the end of his life, Maul reflecting on everything and still choosing to fight Obi-Wan even if it means his death. Like, I think it could have been something so powerful that it could have done. I, I obviously this, I could like, we could talk about this forever and we could like, Yeah, I talked for two forth, hours about Twin Sons, so. <laughs> we could go back and forth forever on this, but like for that note of perspective, I think really it goes back to how Rebels is largely told through the perspectives of the ghost crew, and it mm-hmm. also kind of ties to the way that you see familiar faces, yet this is this... Yeah, it would have been... Yeah. It's kind of seeing, like, their stories through the lens of Ezra, in a way, because, like, that's kind of what Rebels is focused on, is, like, these stories. So, obviously, it would have been, like, kind of an interesting choice, narrative-wise, to have that sudden shift to a completely different perspective, but I definitely see how that could, like, develop more, but I think oh, yeah. what they did with Ezra and with, I personally just think it, with what they did, it was fine. I don't know. I don't know what I'm saying. No, no, no. You love it twice as much for me, and I'll just like it twice as much for you, hon. No, honestly, I respect you a lot more for being, like, here is all the stuff I don't appreciate in this episode instead of, like, the basic, like, oh, no, the fight was too short. Wait, like, I mean, like, it's one of the best fights in all of Star Wars. Exactly, there we go. Why, so did, we can all why did everybody watch Twin Sons for that fight, which is the final three I, minutes? And, right? yeah, so, I mean, it's just, um, I, I, Twin Sons is an important episode. I just, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. It's not my favorite. Anyway, I think it's, uh, anyway um, ooh, the Blue time Husbando. has come. The time Blue has come. Blue Husbando? <laughs> yes. I'm like it's hugging not. my microphone like, Blue Husbando. Yes. It's time it's for Blue Husbando hour. It's time. It's time. It's time. It's time for the 
<laughs> so I love his abs and I love his hair and I love his his eyes and I love his butt and I love him. Oh my god, he's so, so cute. He's so cute. He's so handsome and you know. Oh, I'm a professional thirsty girl. Clearly. <laughs> All right, so I I love Thrawn actually. Um, Rebels. Going into Rebels, like, I had known about Thrawn. I knew he was a character in Legends and stuff like that. But Rebels was my first introduction to Thrawn. Um, I had never dove into the... I'm still working my way through the original uh, Zahn trilogy with Heir to the Empire and all those. Um, bad. <laughs> <laughs> you heard it from me, folks. They're not great. Um, <laughs> but no, I... Rebels was my first introduction to Thrawn and made me really fall in love with the character. And then I went and I read the 2015 novel, which just changed everything for me. And I think he's a fascinating character. He's both this like Sherlockian kind of character with multiple Watsons being like Eli and Karen. And yes, Anakin slash Vader is a Watson to Thrawn because he meets all the Watson tropes. Um, Like Thrawn is just such a fascinating character and as I'm still sadly working my way through Chaos Risings because life, um, <laughs> but it's, it's so, he's such a fascinating character and he's so different and there's so many layers to Thrawn. Like he has this whole speciesism thing going on, being this alien in a very Nazi white boy empire. Um, and so he has to like rise above speciest and the 25th, 15th Thrawn changed everything that novel changed everything to me because i don't even think he's a villain anymore the bombshell of can we talk about it's like what five years old now i mean spoilers (laughs) spoilers for the 2015 thrawn novel all right you had your spoiler warning skip like a minute or something i don't know (laughs) yeah last chance three two one the bombshell of that novel is that he's in the Empire as a spy for the Chiss Ascendancy. And he's there either to make them better allies or to destroy them from the inside. Which makes me question if Thrawn's even a villain, because he's only in the Empire for his people. And it hasn't come up. And so, like, when I rewatched Rebels with that knowledge, every time he lost, quote-unquote, I wondered if it was for his mission or if, if he actually just lost. <laughs> and what he and like what his game's there. And I think that he's going to be a very interesting character. But no, I... I love my, my husband, like, Rebels was my introduction to Thrawn, and I've been deep diving ever since, and I think he's an absolutely fascinating character. The, the only thing I wish that he did slightly different is I wish they would have, like, tied more of the book characters, like, Karen Farrow should have been in, like, season three and four of Rebels. I, I wish they would have brought some of them in more, and I was surprised to find out that you're a blue husband, Stan. I, I came on Hope's pod, she said I, and she's like, what villains do you like, Allie? And I'm like... Thrawn, I guess. <laughs> yeah, me and Gabby were like, what? what? <laughs> I was like, oh, oh. Yeah, so similar to Hope, I knew of Thrawn, but like Rebels was also my introduction to Thrawn and similar to Hope, that's like what ha- helped me grow my, grow my interest and um, in his character. And if we go back to the stakes, he brings stakes, but he also at the same time brings an interesting level to the way he executes things i don't know how what the right words are for that um and then also we stand someone who appreciates art because art is woo <laughs> yeah yay he's so different from i think and i think that's what makes him so fascinating he's he's so different from someone like 
Tarkin yeah. and, and Krennic. Like, he's so drastically different, so it automatically makes him a different kind of threat, and also yeah. how he sizes up against Hera. Like, his rivalry with Hera is one of the most fascinating parts of season three and season four. Any specific, like, moments or anything you want to talk about, especially? <laughs> with Ron? Yeah. I can't. <laughs> sure, no, no. Like, no, um, yeah, I mean, it's just, I, I really like how, actually, I, I like seeing the clash of the politics and the military. Um, a lot like there's a moment where Tarkin's like hey critics trying to steal all your money from your tie defender for his death star and Thrawn's like well that jerk face and he has to deal with that and we see like that kind of uh clash and I think he's just such a like an interesting he, he brings this like kind of layer of knowledge almost to it because the tie defender is the better thing to save the empire it's stronger it's faster it's more versatile but no palpatine puts all his eggs in a death star basket that blows up twice <laughs> and so like there's so many times in the series where i'm just like if you just listen to thrawn you, <laughs> you would actually have a working functioning empire i just think he's fascinating and then there's also that one scene where he's just like oh i callus and list walk in and like oh we're going to thrawn's office and callus walks in he's you see thrawn beating up some robots and he's shirtless and you see his like rippity blue muscles and oh callus is like like callus is just like you know i was already gay for lasats but just might be added to my list too man because that's a and then Yularen opens door and he's just like betrayal welcome to thrawn's office because i'm Yularen. <laughs> Callus is just like, I'm sorry, I was having a dream, and, and Thrawn's just like, yes, look at my arms. That's a flex move, though, you know? that's That was all, it's, like, he knows Jalaren's waiting in his office, and he knows that these two are coming, and he chose that time to fight robots. That's a flex power move to show, hey, you see how I'm beating up this? I'm not someone to F around with. I will find you. And I will rip your head off. And uh, it, uh, it's such a wonderful, like, psychological flex move. Of, yeah, know, and for that episode, scene. especially with how, like, with how it's all about, like, callous and stuff. It's like, ah, it makes you like, no, callous, just leave. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, that's such a good, that, that's one of my, and, like, and it brings Yularen back in, too, which Yularen, I think, is another, um, I know he's not on the list, but I think Yularen's yeah. an interesting villain as well. Because we see him as a hero in Clone Wars, and he's a villain in Rebels. And it's such a... The, the first time I actually watched, I, I watched that episode, and I saw Yularen showed up. And, you know, I knew he went to the Empire, because I know he's in A New Hope. But, like, seeing, like, and hearing Tom Kane's voice come out of his mouth, and, like, seeing Yularen, my first response was, Did you forget your Jedi friends? Because, <laughs> like, he used to work every day with with Anakin and Obi-Wan. It's such um I think Yularen is a really good example of people who just kind of go with the flow. And I, I feel like I read somewhere that the reason he actually joined the ISB is because after the fall of the Jedi, he didn't want to actively fight anymore. So he became the head of the ISB because he didn't fully agree with everything that Empire still was doing, but he wanted to still have a, you know, a really good job in this position of power. So he could try and control not just the corruption of the people, but he wanted to try and control the corruption of the Empire, um, which is what, which we see a lot in the Thrawn 2015 novel is Yularen's sleuthing out corruption within the Empire, and he makes him kind of that Tua character. So he, he's actually trying to use what Imperial power he has for a good thing, 
And I think that he is a very interesting character as well. Oh, I love Yularen too, man. I love that character. And just to see how he goes from like being on the good guys to the bad guys with from Clone Wars to Rebels. It's just such an interesting shift. Yeah, I'm glad you brought up Yularen because I tried to make the list shorter by not including people that show up once. <laughs> so um, I'm still glad that you brought up. He shows up twice. <laughs> No, I'm going, go I'm sorry. There's a couple of people who show up like once or twice and I was like, I don't know, do you want to be on the list? <laughs> but like, yeah, I'm still glad that you brought him up because like, it, I thought it was interesting to see him again, especially in like this kind of a like scenario episode. Especially, I, I, I love how at the end, like you can see him genuinely sad that like it's callous. He's like, no, yeah. not my best student. And Callus is just kind of like, Oh my god, it's my favorite teacher. Oh no, I'm gonna disappoint him so much. <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry, Mr. Yelaren. Oh, that's Professor Yelaren to you and your betrayal. <laughs> I love Tom Kane. I can't, I can't. All right. Are you ready to talk about some Inquisitors? <laughs> oh, so Inquisitors. Inquisitors. <laughs> uh, just let me, uh, uh, just, uh, uh, an Inquisitor clock and, uh, just, just turn it on and like make it just that is loud what are you... <laughs> <laughs> it eats batteries like no one's business no no i uh oh god i i love my grande boyfriend i have a grand inquisitor clock i know this is an audio medium but uh so he's beautiful and he's the sexiest of Palins, because the rest of them look like Nosferatu monsters. But uh, between him and Kanan um, together, they showcase perfectly my theory that everybody in Rebels is a Kindle. <laughs> Everyone's a Kindle. Oh, get back over there, Grande. No, no, no. In all seriousness, I love the Grand Inquisitor. Like, he is just. He's so fascinating. And for what I wish they would actually just use Powans more. I think Powans <laughs> are very interesting um, species because, for one, they're called the Eternals. They live hundreds of years. And so, like, I always wanted more stories of Powans during the Empire because when you have these creatures who have been living since the High Republic still around who know what the Jedi are <laughs> because they're hundreds of years old, you know, like, how do they erase the Jedi from their memories and archives and when they live hundreds of years? I, like they're this, they are this huge loophole society. <laughs> um, and I, I need more, more stories about Utapau. No, but like, I, I love Grande. Um, I, I love this character. I've written backstories. I've written his parents. I've, I've named him. I have given him a fan name. I have a fan age in my head. Um, I, I think he's such a, and being a Powan, who we don't know if he's a young Palin. We don't know if he's an old Palin. He could still, he could have been alive during the High Republic for all we know. We don't know his age. Um, and I think he's a fascinating character. Um, I, I, I personally think he was a young Palin. That's just me. And oh, my tragic backstory is he kept outliving all his masters. <laughs> oh no! He could live forever and he had like three masters and he just kept outliving them even as a child. Um, no, no, I, I, to me, he is, Grande is the most important villain of all of Rebels. He is the catalyst for everything that happens. He is the reason that, as I said, that Kanan becomes serious um, and decides to face his Jedi past. He's the reason that Kanan takes on Ezra because he realizes the need to protect this, this boy. He realizes that there's this threat. He is the representation 
of the force villain um for for the first half of the show he's the reason he introduces his death brings in the other inquisitors it brings in vader it's the escalation that needs to happen and he is a foil for kanan they are both coming from this place where they came from the same cloth but they went two different directions and it was it's all about choices and i absolutely love charles soul's run of darth vader i call charles soul's run of darth vader rebels but for the dark side because we see the beginning of the Inquisitors. We get Grande's backstory. We get to see one of the reasons he found. I think it's not just one reason. We know that he was there when Barra Sophie was like, was pretty much like, Jedi, you suck. And we know that he was one of the temple guards there. And have you read about temple guards? They're tragic. They're not allowed to have personalities. Yeah. They're, they give up their lives for, uh, uh, and they have to be anonymous pretty much just yeah. to, and and I think they're just they are the very embodiment of why the Jedi sucked, and and I just I think he's such a good character. He's narrative speaking, he's the first real threat of Rebels. He's because you know the first couple episodes, like you know they steal a ship and Zeb and as which is one of my favorite episodes. Fight or flight is one of my top ten favorite episodes of all Rebels. But, you know, like, they steal a ship, and Oresco and Grinch are like, oh, shucks. And then, like, they find, like, 3PO and, um, and R2, and Tua's like, oh, shucks. And then you get to the Luminara episode, and it's terrifying, and the stakes are raised. And he's the first real threat, and it's his death that is the catalyst for them to leave Lothal, because Vader comes and chases them off of Lothal. And if it wasn't for his death, then they wouldn't have left. And then who's the one that knights? And, and I, I hate that they, this was a correction, that it's all a projection of Yoda. But Yoda chose for Grande to be the one who knighted Kanan because he was the one who put Kanan back on his Jedi journey. And it was, it, it's so symbolic that he was the one who is just the symbol of the Jedi to knight Kanan. Um, and, and it just shows how important that character was to Kanan's journey and thus to Ezra's journey. Because if Kanan didn't get his stuff together, then Ezra wouldn't be a Jedi either. Exactly. <laughs> and, and he just, it, it, it just escalates this entire threat of the entire series. And he is the reason why we even have a series to begin with. Because them leaving Lothal left the power vacuum for not having a rebel cell there, which made the Empire come in more. And, and they didn't have that anybody to help kind of defend about that and they left with all like oh i could i love grande oh he's so really? good <laughs> I, 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 I've, I've written his parents i've written his sister i've written his i named him my fan name for him is alexei and the reason it's alexei is because um Tudodesky has a a um poem called the grand inquisitor and one of the characters is named alexei um and uh, Russian poetry is fun. Um, and I just, I love that character. I love him so much. He is just so important to everything. And then he's so tragic because they just saw recently in the Star Wars thing that his soul is trapped in a temple and he's like begging Vader. He's like, please free my soul. And he's just like, Vader's like, no, you suck. And he's like, but Vader, I've worked for you forever, man. Come on. He's just this tragic character who just who, all, and all he wanted to do was have knowledge. All he wanted to do was read, and Jocasta knew, was like, no, and she's like, he's like, but I just want to read a book, and she's like, no, you can't, get out of my library, and he's like, I'm gonna kill you one day. 
<laughs> and then Vader killed him. He was like, but I wanted to kill him, sir. <laughs> so, uh, uh, I love Grande. I love him so much. He's such a, such a good character. And, uh, Jason Isaac makes him sexy and he walks sexually and he has that power walk that he does. And he's so good. <laughs> I could talk forever about him. <laughs> I love this character. I, I just, yeah. Uh, uh, uh. Sometimes I wonder what if it would have been like if he would have, if he lived and got redeemed. Um, because I, I think him and Kanan, because they have so a lot of similarities and they come from a similar background, I, I really do think that him and Kanan could have been just so amazing together. And to have that kind of reformed dark sider. Um, I don't think we've, other than Ben and the the two seconds that Vader redeemed, we haven't really seen a lot of reformed dark siders. Yeah. And I think they could have, instead of killing him, they could have done something very interesting with him coming to the good side, like not being able to go back and face Vader, but having nowhere to go and becoming this dark sider who becomes an ally and maybe not ever fully, like in all of Ventress, like a, like a saw Ventress, yeah, I take it back. Yeah. We have seen it with Ventress. Yeah. And I think he could have been that Ventress character for Rebels and he would have been just so good. Oh, I love my grande. You put it all so well. We could probably just leave it there. <laughs> I don't really know if there's much more I can add because you just put it so very well. Honestly. He's one of my, my favorite characters of all of Star Wars. Like, there's a reason I love this character so much. Yeah, um, clearly. <laughs> oh, absolutely. And I think the other Inquisitors are fine. Um, I think Seventh <laughs> Seven Sister was the first on-screen female villain because she debuted a few months before Phasma came out. So, like, so Seven Sister is actually historic for being an on-screen female villain. Um, and, and, you know, I, I think they could have done more with them. I think one of the big, another flaw of Rebels is the lack of forced villains in season three and season four. And I, and after Twilight, like, we don't ever see them. And I'm just like, there are certainly more uh, Inquisitors than that. <laughs> <laughs> we know this from Souls comic and Fallen Order, that there are so many more Inquisitors than that. I like the the Inquisitors because they're kind of cheated, you know? They're never going to be full Sith, you know? Mm -hmm. They're... I, I think that they're just as much of the victims of Palpatine's lying as, as a lot of other people. I think that they think that they're going to go places, but all the only thing waiting for them is death and pain. And I think when they chose to leave the Jedi, I think... I, I feel like they were going to try and find freedom and all they found was death and pain. Mm -hmm. um, and they were always going to be held back. They were never going to get that full information. They were never going to have that space at Palpatine's uh, side that they probably thought that they were going to have. And I think that's what makes the Inquisitors so interesting. And also there was this like one little bit of knowledge um, in, it was in one of the episodes, maybe it was always two they are, there are, or but it was, it's, it's one of the trivia things on StarWars.com mm -hmm. and it's why their lightsabers spin. And it's because they're like cheater versions because they don't have the skills to be like Maul who can fight with two-sided light, light, uh, lightsabers. <laughs> and that's kind of what I feel like. They're like the cheater versions of Sith. <laughs> Um, they're never going to be full Sith. And I find that actually kind of sad for them yeah. that they went from this cult of the Jedi to what they probably think was freedom through the Sith. And they don't even get that. 
And I, I just, I think they're uh, just as much victims. And, and don't let me, like, when I say victims, yeah, they're still terrible people. Still murderers. Yeah. No, no, <laughs> still no. terrible people, but. <laughs> as much as, like, because, like, yeah, as much as it's important to, like, acknowledge that, yeah, they do really bad things. They, they like we were talking about earlier, every character still has, like, complexity. Yeah, I, I, I definitely think that's sad. Now, now you made me kind of sad. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think there's such a telling line um, in Clone Wars, and it's in the in the Ahsoka Leaves arc, when Ahsoka's being framed. Um, before the bomb goes off in the hangar bay, uh, they're walking through, and Anakin says something along the lines of, not all the Jedi agree with this war. And I wonder how many of those Jedi who didn't agree with war became Inquisitors. Oof. You know, how many of them were bears? Actually, I don't think Bear Sophie was ever, <laughs> ever an Inquisitor. Um, but how many of them are like Barris? Uh, the reason I don't think Barris was ever an Inquisitor is because Anakin Skywalker is heady. And I think that, like, like yeah. the moment Vader saw her and, like, she's yeah. like, it's day one of Inquisitor training. I'm here to be an Inquisitor. And I just see, <laughs> yes. like, Vader with Anakin's memories going... You framed my Padawan. Yeah. yeah <laughs> like, I don't think she made it. Yeah. yeah, um, yeah. If she was smart, she would have left. Because <laughs> <laughs> I want Varys to live, but I don't think that uh, Anakin would have let her last long as an Inquisitor. No, but I, I, I think the Inquisitors are very fascinating um, and very sad, even though it's, it's the Brooklyn Nine-Nine thing of uh, cool motives still murder. <laughs> that, and I think, I think they're the embodiment of that. I think they have cool motives, but they're still murderers. So. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I kind of put Oresco and Grant and Lieutenant List are all kind of in the same box together. Uh, they're just, actually, I'm going to separate List because he is just a, a sweet. Yeah. He's a, he's yeah. a sweet baby Nazi. Yeah. You know? He's still a Nazi, but he's the sweet baby Nazi. Yeah. Um, Arisco and Grin, I think, are actually important because they are the the bullies. Like, they are the people who probably were the bullies in high school that the vampire was just like, oh, you guys like bullying people? Come join our ranks. You know, like, they're they're kind of doofy and they're the lower management people and they just, they're the people who fills the space because Lothal is a backwater planet, right? It's not important. It's not a Duro. It's not a Coruscant. It's yeah. not a, like a Corellia. It's like, it's like the uh, Wisconsin of the galaxy. <laughs> like, oh my no God. <laughs> like, I actually, I have high friends in Wisconsin. Same. You're lovely people. You're still the backwaters of America. <laughs> you know? Like nobody wants to go to like uh, that place. And they're just, they show just the lower levels of the empire, you know, like these are the people who probably failed out of school, who are just mean and bitter, and they just are bullies, and they push people around. And I like that about them, because um, these are the kind of people that the empire would target is bullies just to pick on locals and to have these power trips. And they're never going to rise in the ranks. They're just people with power trips. And when you give bullies a little bit of power they turn into our rescues and grins and they're actually quite harmful in society of like of why we shouldn't give these kind of people power unlike and there's just i i love i i think they're very important because they're not smart you know they're just there to be a placeholder to in a stepping stone but i think narratively like i said they were callus's first step to redemption because i think mm-hmm. that was callus's first moment of Oh, oh. <laughs> oh. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
Yeah, no, that that scene, I think that scarred 14-year-old or how old I was. <laughs> um, that, scored, that, that scarred like upper 20 hope, so I feel no, yeah. like, oh, God. Yeah, no, 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 definitely. Yeah, they're like the first step in Callus's like redemption arc. As like little as they're in the show, they do like play a role in the narrative and like like you said, like being like the bully characters who are just like bossing the citizens around. And then when it comes to Callus's story, they do have an effect in that way. And it's like Yeah. Yeah, and, and, and like I said, like what Rebels does so well is showing the structure of the Empire. So like they are like if if, if stormtroopers are the employees, that them and like them and Tua, like they're the store managers and then Tarkin is the district manager. So like they are these just like lower level people in the empire who still have a little bit of power above the stormtroopers. But like it, no, you know, like this is what it looks like with the lower level people in the empire. And then we get to see, you know, of course, throughout we go up the, the imperial ranks and everything. But it's I, I like that about rebels because um I, I think Lost Stars does this very well too. Um Lost Stars shows us the different levels of the Empire through Cyana and Thane's eyes and to like see like how the training goes and working up to that and like like seeing how they treat like like Jai Kel and Ezra and yeah. um yeah. Zara Leonis. Yeah. yeah, I couldn't remember uh, Zara. And, and then the other kid who doesn't matter because we never see him without his head. Oh my He's gosh. The- <laughs> we see how they treat kids, you know? Yeah. Um, and to see how the Empire, you, you see them being kind until they have to be tough. Yeah. And they're like much more crueler and they bring in the Grand Inquisitor and stuff. And they don't really hold power. They just think they hold power. They're kind yeah. of like mall cops where they think that they're real police officers, but they're not actually police officers. They just, you know, have a segue and they run around the mall and they think <laughs> they have power. That's a Rusko and Grin. But those yeah. are kind those are important pieces in the Empire because those are the people who still have the power to yell at citizens and to and to implement rules and like we see them in the opening episode you know before Ezra slides in there that they're terrorizing people just because they can yeah so oof <laughs> list is a baby space nazi yes! come, back in, come back into the characters so he is the freshest baby space nazi still a nazi but still he's nazi, a precious like, baby yeah. he's he's so doofy i love oh him God. no no like i <laughs> he, he like gets caught this poor man he gets caught like this endless cycle of like bad situations like bad things <laughs> to him ever oh he's the okay so in the south we have this saying and this is the very embodiment of bless your heart but when someone looks at you and goes bless your heart it's not a compliment it means i think you're an idiot <laughs> You're stupid. And he's like, he's so, he's the loving embodiment of that because he's all just like, he's just like, wow, we, we're going to go see the Grand Admiral. I'm going to be a big boy Imperial now. And Callus is like, oh, I'm so throwing you under the bus. <laughs> and he, the whole time, like, all he wants to do is be a good Imperial. And he's just like, wow, we, Grand Admiral, I will find the spy for you. And I think it's Price. She's the rebel. Callus, why are you capturing me? Oh, no. <laughs> like, I hope, like, once Jalaren and Thrawn realize that, like, Callus tricked Lith, they, like, let him out of prison. <laughs> Please. I know, right? <laughs> but he's just, it, I, I just, list. If anything, he just, uh, 
I don't even think he does anything narratively, but he's just, you know, like, this is what happens when you take, like, little dummy dumps and give them power in the Empire, and just, uh, he's, he's, he's the precious baby space Nazi that everybody yep. just needs to take care of, so. <laughs> yeah, not really take care of, you know, take care of him so far until, you know, because at the end of the day, he's still a Nazi. I know, I, like, I, <laughs> no, I just, like, every time we see him, it's, like, because like the stuff with that happens with Leia, like the stuff that happens in like through Imperial Eyes, the stuff yeah. that happens like even in the beginning in season one, it's like just like give him a break. Like this poor boy is just trying his best. I do like that about him though, because like when he's on his own, he's actually okay. You know, like, like he, yeah. he terrorizes the Sumars, and you know he's he's doing his Imperial thing. But it just helps shows how like smart Callus is, and. Yeah. <laughs> I love the scene where where Thrawn and, and Yularen are like, do you think like, List is the Rebels? Him? And they're like, no, he, no, it's not List. He's, it's he's not too, him. He's too stupid to be the Rebels. <laughs> <laughs> like, they don't even believe it either. <laughs> that just shows what, how dumb he is. Oh. <laughs> I love List. <laughs> oh, so you want to know so the next? Nickname? I, I like I tried to add everyone who appeared at least a decent amount, and um, these two you can kind of combine together for the fact that one is kind of just like he's is almost like he's as stupid as Liz, and then like the other one is just honestly a joke at Ezra's expense half the time. So I actually forget about Brom Titus a lot. Like I actually had to Google him because I was like, wait, what? Who's this? no. And literally, I love every time, like, he's put a, like, Ezra tries to impersonate him, and it's just like, I'm here, I'm Ron Titus, and then, like, even the first time he meets him, they're, like, they have their little banter, like, Ezra and Ron Titus, they just, they have their little thing, it's it's great. Yeah, yeah, I, you know, as soon as I saw him, I was like, oh, this guy. (laughs) (laughs) No, I, I, like, uh, I like Ron Titus, because he has that classic 70s Imperial look, like, he looks like he's from 1976, (laughs) I like that about him. Do you want to know my nickname for Constantine? Is it bad? <laughs> no, it's not bad. Oh, okay. Um, um, he is Lord Constantine, King of Hubris, first of his name. And then when he dies, he's King of Hubris, last of his name. Oh my gosh. Um, no, I, I actually, I think Constantine is important to not the hero's story, but to Thrawn's story. Yeah. Um. Constantine is the traditional imperial you know like he is he does everything that an admiral should do he does everything that a leader should do he has that imperial training and he's so stuck on himself he's so into himself and his plans (laughs) are doing things his way that when Thrawn comes in with unorthodox plans wanting to do things differently you see Constantine throughout season three become more and more agitated with Thrawn and just pushing back and pushing back against Thrawn. And Thrawn keeps saying, like, dude, do your job. I give you this order, you do it. Yeah. And in every time Constantine doesn't fall in line because he's so into himself and he's so full of hubris and has so much confidence in himself that he can't even follow orders from a superior officer. <laughs> like, he is the reason Thrawn loses in, in Zero Hour. Like, he's mm-hmm. the reason that Ezra is able to escape and go get Sabine and the Mandalorians. Yeah. It's because of Constantine yeah. and his hubris and being so full of himself. And I like that, that you have this unorthodox villain, Imperial-like Thrawn, and you have this very, very, very traditional 
traditional imperial with Constantine and seeing those two clash. Um, and I just, I, I love Constantine and I, I love G. Bradley Baker playing him and he has that stupid mustache. <laughs> I love him. But no, like, so I, I think Constantine isn't important to the hero story, but he's important to Thrawn's story. Yeah. He's the reason that Thrawn doesn't get him and Arunda, man. Yeah. But I, like, Arunda Price is, like, everybody around Thrawn is stupid. If they would just let Thrawn do his thing and follow his orders. No, but I, I, I love Constantine. I think he's a great character. I think because he is so traditional like he is that classic imperial let's talk about the saxons i i loved the mandalore stuff and everyone knows that obviously um so i really like enjoy getting to see like more mandalorian stuff and like especially in this case because in rebels we get to see just what the empire is like started to do to mandalore and the guard saxon just comes in and is like i'm the imperial viceroy of mandalore and it's like i don't know he, I, I just really enjoyed all the mandalore stuff obviously because it's sabine and i i loved seeing like the clash between him and um Fenral and Sabine especially because Mandalore has such like honor is such a big part of the Mandalorians seeing people like Gar Saxon who are like breaking that by like trusting joining the empire and stuff and doing the actions they do and like killing the protectors I I just it was interesting to see all of that yeah, um, I, I will say full disclosure, um, Mando stuff is not my strong point. <laughs> um, so, so full disclosure about that. But I just have to do this once because this is what I call him on our podcast. He is Gar Saxon. Oh my god. <laughs> I, I will say like the kind of what I like about animation is I never really had an interest in the Mandalorian stuff. But seeing kind of the details and the intricacies and how it's handled both in Clone Wars and Rebels and now in The Mandalorian and stuff like that, I'm just now starting to kind of get into it a little bit more. So what I I like about Gar and Tiber, though, is I think that Gar's intentions, I, I, I think in his opinion, what he feels was actually best for his people. Yeah. Um, because the reason he stands with Maul is because he doesn't believe in Satine's ways in Clone Wars. Yeah. And um, I think he honestly was acting with the intent for his people um, and what he believed was best. Yeah. I think Tiber's just a psycho. No, because he has this one very interesting conversation with Thrawn and Thrawn flat out says, if you use the Duchess on your own people, you are massacring your own people and they will turn on you. And Tiber's like, I'm fine with that. I just, have this, cool, I just have this cool weapon and I want to use it. And Thrawn just kind of stares at him and goes, all right, all right. <laughs> I tried. I tried to warn you. And sure enough, he dies. Like, because like Thrawn tells him flat out and like Tiber's a psycho. Like he's like, I'm totally cool using this on my own people. But I don't feel like that would have been Gar. And I think that's what their their difference is. And I feel that way about Finn Rao too, because Finn Rao is that kind of like redeemed villain kind of too. Yeah. Um, but he just redeems way faster. Like he's only a really bad guy for like an like an episode and a half. Literally. <laughs> like, yeah. And but I feel like Gar and Finn and, and even Ursa. I'm not saying yeah. I'm not saying that Ursa is a villain, but no, I no, feel no. like I, I... they're all doing what they're doing. Yeah. Because they honestly believe it's best for Mandalore. Yeah. And I and it still makes Scar a villain in I but I would almost put him in like an antagonist point. He's kind of like that Tua character or um who's just trying to do 
what he believes is best. And he's, and I, I think what makes him so interesting is he's also a politician. So not only is he a military person, he also has that political influence too, where Tiber's just a freaking psycho. I, I think that's actually, like, obviously I've thought about this, like, about the fact that, like, because Mandalore's fate comes into question a lot and, like, what the Mandalorians are going to do. But I think it's an interesting point on, to think about how he's trying to do what's best for the people, especially because while he joined forces with Maul because he didn't agree with Satine, he also, we also see in the Siege of Mandalore, like, he sees how, like, Maul kind of betrays him in a way and he also sees like where that leads and so in the same way that the empire is like said to bring security and like rule of the galaxy maybe it's like that kind of secure way of keeping their ways in that way that they are still like the warriors but he thinks maybe the empire can help bring that stability i think that's true for um a lot of the and and that that's isn't that the argument and resistance with taeyong yeah it's like you know the first order is bringing stability yeah and i I think that's i think that's why some people like tua were open to it because they could see and and yularing you know like the empire has means it has money and has resources (laughs) and i think that's what's important so like you have this this place like Mandalore, which is a very important thing, but like, you know, it was in ruins after the Clone Wars. They yeah. probably needed the money. They probably needed the resources. They probably <laughs> needed the stability. And here's the Empire who used to be, <laughs> and if we remember, Bo-Katan is the one that brought the Empire there in the first place. Bo-Katan, <laughs> no, Bo-Katan brought the Republic who then turned into the Empire. Yep. So they already had the stronghold there. You know, yep. the Republic came and was there. And then when they became the Empire, they were still there. And so um, I, I, I think Gar is an interesting character. I mean, he, I think he's still a sleazeball, and I think he, yeah. he, he's infamous for choosing the wrong sides. Mm-hmm. But I, I do think it honestly just comes down to, and I, I think that's where when it gets to the Mandalorian, when we get into like the Death Watch people in Din Jaring's life, yeah. Yeah. I think that's going to be a very interesting kind of take when we get into like what is Death Watch to our hero in this show. And yeah. I, I think that's what's so fascinating about Star Wars is that, like, depending on who the hero is, is the person's point of view. And that's why I love the mm-hmm. Thrawn 2015 novel, is because you're rooting for Eli, you're rooting for Thrawn, you're rooting for Karen, and then you stop and go, they're the Imperials, you know? Yeah. They're, they're the bad guys, but we're yeah. rooting for them. And I think that's, that's, um, that's going to give so much nuance. And I think that's kind of where Gar is. I think Gar just honestly wanted mandalore to be classic mandalore yeah. and Satine was just like this is a uh, new age mandalore and he's just like screw your new age hippie crap <laughs> yeah there's li- like i always say about mandalore stuff there's a lot mandalorians if there's a lot of um i could spend a long time talking about stuff like this but i think that's a big reason i enjoy um all the mandalorian stuff in general because there's so much co- there can be so much complexity through all of it mm-hmm. um and that's why I can't wait to see more of Mandalorian because like we're getting to see more of the progression of where things are and how people are reacting to other people and I saw someone say yesterday please don't let Din Djarin be the only Mandalorian still left please don't tell me I'm all Sabine's family's dead where's yeah where's Sabine's family where's where's Tristan and Ursa and and like like, where are they are they okay (laughs) please I mean I um yeah, I just, I, I don't know what to make of The Mandalorian, to be honest. I just, um, it's so contradictory to so much. And it, it almost makes me wonder if this is just Din sect, you know? Like, if mm-hmm. it's just, just this sect of Mandalorians that are just so vastly different. 
the complexity of like Mandalorian stuff is so interesting. So that's why I just like really liked seeing someone like Gar Saxon come into play in Rebels. Yeah. Anyway, and his brother's a psychopath. Yeah, literally. Um. Anyway, final person we have on the list is your, is Bryce. <laughs> Ari, my precious Ari, my lovely Arenda. Oh, Ari. <laughs> so she is one of those characters where I love her that she's just evil to be evil. She's one of those characters. She is her own downfall, and I like that about her. Um, she's the reason that she messes up. It's all her own fault, and she just can't admit it, and I love it. I love her so much. Oh my god. Uh, I, I'm, um, I, I loved her, um, her backstory in the Throne 2015 novel. I think that's probably why I love her so much, um, because, I get, like I mentioned earlier, um, Ryder set her up on her villain's journey. And because he played politics and he played politics with the wrong person and he set her up. And I, I think she is such an interesting character because she doesn't have an easy journey and she fights her way to the top tooth and nail. And she is just ruthless the whole way through. I love seeing a female character who's just ruthless <laughs> um, because usually that's given to men. Um, and I, and just to clarify, I am talking about the Thrawn novel right now. I haven't even touched Rebel stuff yet. She's allowed to fail and she does fail multiple times. And what does she do? She gets back up and there's so many chances where she, you know, the whole goalpost thing where you move the goalpost to make the finish line further and further away. Yeah. That's kind of like her with the, with the point of no return. She hits multiple points of no return, but she physically pushes that goalpost away herself. She's like, nope, I'm still going. <laughs> and she continuously crosses the point of no return multiple times, even throwing her own friends in jail. Um, but the, like the, the point that really crosses it, that where I was like, You're, you've reached psychopath level, is she willingly kills thousands of people to save her own butt in the Thrawn novels. And that was the point of you're the worst. And I love it. Uh, the, ba- the, the battle that actually gets Thrawn promoted to Grand Admiral is the Battle of Baton. And she murders a man in cold blood to save her and her parents. And this man was like, they can't come with her. And she was like, oh, really? And she murders him. So Yalarin and Thrawn can't blame her for the death of one of their men. She sets off a bomb that's inside of a shield. So when the bomb goes up, it hits the shield and it falls back on the town. And she kills thousands of people to save her own ass. And Thrawn and Yalarn can't pin it on her. And they're both like, we know you did it. And she's just like, do you though? Do you? Where's your evidence? And they're like, we don't have evidence. You blew it up. She's like, I know. I know I blew up my own evidence and you don't have it. Bye. <laughs> and both Yalarn and Thrawn are like, she's a psychopath. And then we go into Rebels, and she just continues to be this, like, cold, heartless woman, and I love her so much. And she is her own demise, because I think the the other thing about, like, Arenda is she fought so hard to hit that governorship, for one, to get revenge on Ryder Azadi, because he screwed her over when she was, like, 18. And, like, so she goes on this, like, revenge path, but she finally runs out of, like, points of no return. And she finally hits that goalpost. She hits the glass ceiling. She hits her own glass ceiling to the point of she has nowhere else to go. She panics and she murders Kanan. And in the murdering of Kanan, 
she gave the rebels their victory. She is the reason that the rebels win because she blows up Thrawn's refinery, which shuts down the TIE Defender Project, which gives Lothal no reason to be in the Empire anymore because that was the only reason that they were there in the first place. She yeah. gives, she, she is the reason they win and she panics. <laughs> she panics so fast. She just plays politics and she's just, I love her. I, th- I think she's such a complicated woman. I think she's a fascinating woman. She just has so many layers to us because there are times even in the Thrawn novel where she's very sympathetic. You feel her anger when Ryder uh, accuses her mom and locks up her mom and rips her family and her family's business away from them. You feel anger for her, but, you know, she just goes in the wrong way. She doesn't, you know, like, try to make it right. She's just like, okay, well, I'm just going to destroy you and kill and, like, murder everything you love. And I love her. I love her. She's just, there's nothing redeemable about Arinda, and there shouldn't be. And that's what makes like someone like Thrawn more sympathetic or Yularen more sympathetic. She just goes for it, and she's just so evil. And I, I, I love her. I love her in her price. I think she's such everyone. A good this is this is why I have hope on because everyone knows in the past I've just been like I hate price and the story. Bye. <laughs> oh no, you, like you, like, so she's like, like Tarkin. Like you should love to hate her because she's <laughs> she's not redeemable at all. She had a chance to be redeemable right at the beginning of the Thrawn book. And you know what she did? She went on to be a terrible person and a psychopath and a mass murderer. She has one of the highest body counts in, in, in Rebels. And she goes on to be a, a psychopath and a mass murderer. You should hate her. She's not redeemable. I love her. She's so complicated. <laughs> wow. Well, what a note. <laughs> If anyone wants to hear a wacky experience I had on the YouTube comment section, go listen to Che Guys and Jedi. I love evil women. I don't think women are allowed the same range of evil that men get, like True. male characters too. So when I see characters like Price and the Seventh Sister and Tua, I, I love evil women. They're not allowed, and I think that's why I love Orinda so much, is because, like, I love the Seventh Sister, but she's very one-note. They don't really give her a lot of space to, like, delve into, like, what makes her tick, you know? And Tua, Tua starts getting complicated towards the end of season one, and she dies. But, like, Orinda has a lot of time to be evil. And we see, like, her fear. We see, like, when she kills Kanan, she knows she messed up. And the <laughs> first thing she does is, let's throw a party to hide it. <laughs> And she can't hide it anymore because she's giving and she just becomes manic, you know? Like, she knows that Thrawn's coming for her. So all she wants to do is capture these rebels to make it better. Like, she, and she's, like, even taking military position. She's a governor. She has no right to be leading this military mission in the first place because she is a governor. She is not a Tarkin. She is not a a moth. Like, she should not be wearing the little stupid, you know, military hat things that they have. Yeah. Um. And and I, I I love her because Star Wars needs many more female villains, and I I think Rebels um, is a really good step in that direction. I think Clone Wars was the first because it gave us the OG with Asajj. Ventress was the first evil lady, and I love her for it. And they redeemed her, and it was great. And then we get more complicated ones in Rebels. Like we get the seventh sister who is just evil to be evil. We have Tua who's through a redeem girl. And Price is the so evil that she is her own downfall evil. And then we get resistance and we have um, people like Tyr. Oh God. Tyrity <laughs> is such a good villain. Oh my God. <laughs> she is so good. And oh, what, what's the other one? Lieutenant G- Galar? Gallard? No, Gallard. Gallard. 
Galar is a region in Pokemon. You're on the right <laughs> track there. <laughs> yeah, but like, I think we need to have, like, like Phasma never got, like, but I hear Phasma is so interesting in the novels. She's not given that chance on screen anywhere, though. Yeah. And so, like, I love female villains so much because women should be allowed to be just as evil and conniving and, like, menacing and, like, as men. And I think that's something that animation does so well is give us these, like, really evil female villains. And I think Arinda is, like, the best. Like, she's, like, the pinnacle (laughs) of these evil villains. Like, I I think she's so, absolutely so fascinating. And she should invoke that visceral reaction in you of she killed Kanan. Like, she should invoke that in you. And she does. And to see her just fall and become her own down... and And they offer her a chance of redemption... Ryder says, come with us. And she yeah. goes, no. And she she does not want redemption. That's what it is. She's unapologetically evil. She has, <laughs> she's not going to say she's sorry. She's never sorry. She's just going to do it. And you know what? And at the end, she finally owns it. That That's probably like the first moment that she owned herself. And I, I just feel that way. I feel like Arinda's constantly running from who she really is. And she just keeps doubling down and doubling down and doubling down. So she can't double down anymore. So she blows up. <laughs> Cause she can't go down anymore. I love, I love her. I love her so much. Give me more female villains. Give me all the female villains. Give me. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming on and sharing all of your love of Star Wars Rebels villains. It was so awesome. <laughs> Thank you for having me. No, like I, I think Rebels does, has such fascinating villains. Uh, there's just so many of them. They come in all shapes, sizes, genders. Like I, I love them. I love, I love the villains of Rebels. They do it so well, and they they have so many different nuances, and they show so many different sides of the Empire. And uh, just the villains are definitely a strength of the show, and I, I really appreciate. It. Like you know, this is this is a great, nice way to spend Halloween. Is talking about exactly no. yeah. yeah just to date the episode happy halloween everybody if people want to check out your content where can they find that my website is called geekygirlexperience.com i write about animation star wars queer topics and sometimes all at the same time i have an animation podcast called hope makes chris watch cartoons which ali is uh has been on once and come tuesday our time you're going to be on it a second time and then uh, my star wars podcast is j guys and jedi and we are working our way through Every episode of Star Wars Animation, we've just finished Rebels, which is where Allie was on the show as well, and we're about to start Resistance, and we've been talking Star Wars Animation for almost 250 episodes now for five years. We're coming up on 250, so... I'm only almost at 30! (laughs) (laughs) Well, well, it is different. Like, you're you're in college, and I've been there before. When I started out, I was in college, and I put out, like, an episode a month. So, like, I get where you're at. School is much more important than podcasting. But, you know, once you're out of school and stuff like that, you can do a week. Yeah, I, I got worried. I took a month off because I was, like, basically doing weekly eps during the summer. And I'm like, I'm not a weekly podcast. So when I go back to school, no, everyone's going to be like, what happened? No, it's it's tough. It's, it's definitely dedicated. Like, like, me and my co-podcaster have a very nice balance. Like, I write all the outlines. He does the audio editing. And it's about the same amount of work because it takes me about four to six hours to do 
Yeah, yeah, like, uh, you don't see the, uh, nine pages of me writing summaries of stuff, so, like, it, and it takes some, but it's, wow. uh, it's a, it's a lot of work. Anyway, on my side of things, so this is the last Star Wars Rebels character episode, so this concludes this little series. It was so much fun. Thank you to everyone who's guested. I will still be covering The Mandalorian with Maria. Like we covered season one, we we're doing a two-episode-per-episode episode basis, so we will not have something this week, but we will have um, something out next week, which we'll be talking about the episode that just came out, as well as next week's episode. My Twitter, which is Allie underscore M underscore Andrews, as well as the podcast Twitter at Knights of Ren. You can find the podcast on iTunes, podcast.com, Amazon Music, and Google Podcasts. Thank Check you all Allie's so much. art, and you can buy it, too. You can. Oh, like- yeah, you can commission me and buy my art and stuff. <laughs> Thank you all so much for listening, and I hope you all come back next time to listen to everyone talk more Star Wars. Thank you. Bye, you guys. Thanks for having me.